3: We at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from... All over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org/donate.
1: Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is all across the country. I'm Kat Johnson, your host. I am in Alabama drinking a vodka martini because I don't have any gin.
4: I'm here, with-
1: <laughs> I'm here with my co-host and the crew. We have Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hello,
2: Katie. Hey, Kat. I'm in Connecticut drinking tea. Drinking tea. We have Hannah Forden.
3: Hello, hello! I am in New Jersey sipping on a Tanqueray and tonic. Ooh! Sorry, cat. I've got the gin.
1: You have the gin. We have Dylan Hoyer.
4: Hello, I'm in Western Mass having a. I don't have a name for it yet, but it has mezcal, maple syrup, and lemon juice. Mm. Okay. We're if gonna you have name suggestions, one. definitely yes. let me know. Mezcal maple.
2: Okay. We'll think I think about you it. should do like an acronym, like a M. Mm. Uh,
5: yeah, that did sound mm. it. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it.
1: Okay,
3: moving on. Or Sorry. like Vermont in Oaxaca. Oh, oh, that's good. Flannel in Oaxaca.
4: Oaxacan
1: in <laughs> <and> Vermont.
5: <laughs> flannel, flannel in Oaxaca should be on a menu in Brooklyn. I mean, back when they <laughs> were menus? Heard
1: it here Brooklyn? first. <laughs> uh, we have Matt Patterson, whose voice you just heard.
5: I just opened an IPA. I'm feeling great.
1: Nice. And our guest of honor this week is a very good friend of the podcast, a very good friend of the network, John DeBerry. Welcome, John.
6: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm I'm in my closet in Lower Manhattan drinking seltzer. He's so profesh.
1: (laughs) A true podcaster. Yeah, yeah.
5: That's
1: what you do. Um, so today we have a lot to talk about with John. Um, the first and most exciting thing, I mean, I think John, you tell me you have a book coming out very soon.
6: Indeed I do. It's called drink what you want. And it's a cocktail book. Um, and it's been so many years in the making that like, it's almost like surreal that (laughs) it's finally happening. You know, it's like when you start college, like you never imagine you graduate and then you're like, Oh crap. Like, that this happened so I'm kind of adjusting to the reality of <clears throat> people being able to read it in out in the world and um uh, getting very excited and like a little scared like when you put something out there and like people in, can <laughs> can read what you say and they can disagree with you or you know so it's a it's a really interesting experience to get um, to have so much work that you put in a lot of time into that then this gets like delivered to someone's house and then they can dive in so I'm like eagerly anticipating all the deliveries that are happening <laughs> next week. Uh, I can't
1: wait feedback. to get my copy. I'm so excited. I have, we have been seeing some sneak peeks of what the book is going to look like. And can you talk a bit about the artwork and just, I, I don't, I don't even know if you can describe it, but just sort of the, the <laughs> thought process behind it and, and what people can expect. I mean, this is going to be so different from, beauty shots of cocktails on a bar
6: totally totally and um yeah it was it was funny because i wanted to have um illustration was always like a I, like from day one I was like I want to do illustrations I want to maybe do like a comic book like an anime like I had all kinds of like really zany ideas that had to be reined in but like to me the whole point of the book was about how like you don't have to do this exact thing in order to be happy that you have these sort of like a gentle framework for uh your own drinks and if it's you're only really pleasing yourself and your friends and like you know you have a little bit of freedom and so to have these very explicit images that were like real pictures just kind of seemed antithetical to the whole thing um plus i feel like a lot of what drink photography is has to do with the glassware or the really elaborate garnishes Um, and there's that, that to me felt a little bit just personally, like, I feel like I've seen it before and being able to have more creativity in terms of just like the way that you present like a a visual image, um, was really important to me to express like more mood. And like, it wasn't really so much about like, oh, did you pick the right beautiful mint leaves to look just like this really elaborate glass that costs $500, you know, it's like, no, it's like a sketchy, like fun a representation of what it could look like but it doesn't have to you're not going to be arrested if it doesn't look exactly like that so i would i use that as a way of getting that point across of just kind of this freedom and i also wanted to um i wanted to like i wanted to visually appear in the book as well so i thought it'd be really weird to have like photos of me <laughs> doing stuff um i don't know why but i thought it would just be cool to have uh like a yeah like a more um interpretive representation of, of myself. So uh, we found this amazing illustrator in the UK. Her name is Sarah Tennant-Jones. Um, and I gave her, uh, we, we just sort of let her run with it and just came back with these amazing images. And uh, I feel like she, even though she and I, like we've barely even talked on the phone, like she just captured my, my essence so so well. It was just really amazing to have that, um, to have that partnership um and it just came out really really cool and it's like the gift that keeps on giving from all these pictures and like i haven't even posted like a lot of them because i'm trying to like save you know some nuggets for for when people actually get the book in hand and there's just like yeah it's just really uh just a great thing to have
2: yeah can you can you talk about your feeling desperate chapter <laughs> so well
6: it's very timely yeah so, so prescient uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, I, I feel like having like a, a chronic anxiety disorder, you're always planning for the worst. So that's just like part of my personality. So like, am I, <laughs> it's just infused into everything that I do. So I guess it made sense that I'm like planning for a crisis in my cocktail book as well. Um, and the, the underlying kind of assertion of the book is that there are some pretty standard uh, rules for what makes drink taste good, and then there's a cup, kind of couple different dimensions about of how drinks are good. You know, they're kind of structurally well made, but then they also like are suitable to you, like as if from an like, emotional like standpoint, an like, experiential standpoint, like. You, know, you can make a really good eggnog, but like you're not going to want to bust out an eggnog like in the middle of a hot beach. Like it's just not gonna, It just doesn't work. You know how, how good their eggnog is, technically, it's just not going to be right. So, <laughs> so it's kind of about, you have these underlying reasons about why drinks taste good, and you can apply those those rules to various different situations, and they apply across whether you're going to make something really fancy and elaborate with really expensive ingredients, or if you're just throwing something together for yourself and you don't really give a shit so um the the chapters are all about the way you're feeling so there's like feeling classic and feeling fancy and feeling lazy and you know something i've always had these like fun stories (laughs) of like times when i was like kind of like put myself in a really difficult situation to make drinks and ended up turning out like a decent outcome um and it just goes to show that if you kind of think about what the what you're trying to do at the end goal, you don't have to worry too much about how you get there. It's just like being resourceful and like, oh well this this drink needs to be shaken somehow. Like do I use like a quart container? Like (laughs) do I use like two mugs held together? You know, you can kind of if you get if you kind of liberate yourself from like this sort of literal idea about how you're supposed to be making drinks, you can do a lot more. So the the Feeling desperate chapter was really about like these drinks that like you 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 know, you can make and they're delicious and they're fun, but they're sort of meant to represent like kind of these like the outer boundary of like these situations where like even if you think that you're not going to be able to make something delicious you can really do more than you thought you could and you can have fun doing it so you don't need to be behind the bar at some super fancy cocktail bar in order to put together a beautiful cocktail that you enjoy drinking you can be like stuck at a you know at a, at a dive bar and make a michelada or you can like you know i have a whole flowchart of how to make drinks when you're like faced with, like, a very bleak uh, liquor cabinet and just these sort of very easy things you can do to just, like, zhuzh up your, your drinks a little bit so that you're just having more fun.
2: Is can there a... you... Oops. Sorry, Hannah. I just want to know, John, What? what's an example of one of these desperate situations you've been in, and what did you make?
6: <laughs> uh, well, um, I... He One quarantined
5: of, for the first couple of weeks in a dive bar in Manhattan, and he was like trying to
2: scrape <laughs> try it, it to together. The dregs.
6: Right. Well, I think my my like my prime example of the desperation model of drink making is represented in my um, in the flowchart about being stuck at your in-laws and it's based on like a real <laughs> a real experience that i had where i was visiting my 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 parent my mother-in-law and her husband um and they don't really drink like hard spirits and so they had this like strange like dusty liquor cabinet on the third floor of their of their house that had like stoli from so old that it was said from the ussr on it
0: uh, <laughs> and like wow. all
6: these odd liqueurs and we were I was sort of like uh, like what's like a what's like just something i can do with this that isn't like just drinking spirits out of a glass and that kind of was the, the the genesis for like how to like walk someone else through that and you need to send hannah
5: this flow chart like asap Hannah, aren't you like in the process of cleaning out an old liquor cabinet here
6: oh
3: babe it is cleaned out was a bottle of vermouth that is fully become it. Ha, it is now sherry
5: Wow. The, yeah. It has
3: a price tag sticker that's so old that the, like, Magnum bottle of Dolan vermouth that has never been refrigerated is... The price tag says $5. <laughs> so we can work backwards uh, uh, you know, the cost of inflation of how old that yeah. is.
5: Yeah.
1: Wow.
3: That's um, about all that's left.
1: <laughs> that's that's impressive. I would love to see that bottle. Um, So john that flow chart that you mentioned um you were doing a really cool uh kind of promotion's not the right word but you were you were offering if people um would, were donating money to restaurant workers community foundation that you were gonna give them a sneak peek of the book and give them that flow chart because it's yeah. a like we mentioned it's a it's an important time to have something like that we're not able to run to the liquor store anytime we want to um but talk a little bit about that and sort of um, this is my transition to talking about RWCF and all the work very that smooth. you've been doing.
6: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm the co-founder of the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, and um, I started, we've talked about this before with you all, but uh, we started the, the the foundation a couple of years ago, or, You know, kind of officially launched in 2018, and it was about sort of finding some structural solutions to some of the really deep issues that were facing the restaurant industry and you know, creating very you know, negative quality of life outcomes for, for workers in the industry and uh, low wages, like high rates of suicide, substance abuse, you know, sexual violence at the workplace, like, you know, every kind of social justice issue is sort of magnified uh, in the food system. And um, so we kind of were chugging along, we were, you know, building steam and getting, you know, you know, raising our budget and growing our community. Um, And then uh, the, the, the coronavirus crisis happened, and it became very clear that there was going to be a, um, significant disruption to the restaurant industry for for a long time, um, and that there were going to be a lot of people who were who are going to be in need of a lot of like immediate relief, and just like for you know actual survival, and um, and there needed to be something for we needed to do something to <coughs> to um, specifically respond to that. So we. Uh, developed a, a fund uh, that goes to provide emergency financial assistance to people in crisis. Uh, we're funding nonprofits uh, and other service providers um, who are who are providing relief to people who are in the restaurant industry who are facing a hard time, like people who are doing uh, food kitchens, people who are providing mental health resources, immigration, you know, a lot of sexual, a lot of like domestic and intimate partner violence is happening right now because everyone's stuck at home and really stressed out so we're providing support to rain um, and we're actually about to launch to, to announce a new raft of, of funds uh, of grants going out uh, in the next couple of in the next week or so um, and then the the last portion of the fund is going to uh, a <clears throat> no collateral um, zero interest uh, loan program Uh and that's for, for small businesses who are looking to get kind of back up and running and on their feet again, just giving some easy money to, to help get through uh, some tough times. Um, and so that was March 15th. And since then, we've raised over six million dollars in the fund, uh, which is like really astonishing. And it's not, it's not something that we ever not a number that we ever thought we'd get to for years and years. And um, that's just given us a really huge accelerated time frame for the growth that we were kind of expecting to happen over the next five or so years. It kind of all happened in 10 weeks. Um, and it's been just, um, I had a, I have a, we have a volunteer, uh, who has been managing our like info at uh, email account. And she says that it's like really hard to, when we get people who are asking us for help, that it's like, you know, kind of hard to read but also at the same time there's also so many people who are reaching out for help so in a way it's like very grounding to be kind of at the center of the problem uh and uh to know that there is like the the resources and the help that are out there are getting to the right people um so that's just been sort of my life for the (laughs) last for the last three months and i thought it would be fun to um to raffle off or to uh to sell off, like, a few pages of the book, and I thought that the the, the in-laws flowchart was the best one to do because it gave people a very practical guide for, like, okay, so do you have this? Yes or no? Yes, okay, now I can do these five drinks. Or, like, no, but I have Frangelico. It's like, okay, well, you have these five other five drinks. And sort of giving people a way to kind of... Uh, <clears throat> have like a fun sort of navigational experience (laughs) towards a cocktail without having to, to go outside or or do any special shopping, uh, just felt very appropriate. Um, so yeah, I did that. That was, that was really fun. And I'm also raffling off, um, a lot of people asking me about signed copies. Um, and we don't have a way to sell people signed copies right now. Um, probably will soon. And so rather than kind of I've given a few copies from my publisher uh, t- to do what you know, as I please, and I thought that it would be great to raffle off a few signed copies for people who donated to Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. So it's kind of like a raffle. If you donate, send me the receipt, and for every, for every $30, I'll give you like one entry, uh, and then I'm going to pick 15 people uh, who get signed copies um, from me next week. So, yeah, I'm just milking my book for, all, <laughs> for everything I can get <laughs> for the foundation, yeah.
1: That's awesome. Um, so, I, I'm curious now. You know, I, I didn't realize you guys had hit the six million mark. I mean, every every time I'm, I get an update, it's like you're past another million, which is I, incredible. I, I, um, where what are you got? What are you all thinking right now? You know, as as you start to move from really immediate relief needs for restaurant workers to a longer term, um, you know, looking at how the industry needs to change and adapt. And obviously these are things that you and the foundation have been thinking about for a really long time. But now it seems like we have an opportunity and opening in a way that we didn't a few months ago. So how, how are you thinking about how we go forward from here.
6: Yeah, I, mean, I think about that a lot. <laughs> and it does seem a little bit you know, a little bit like it's like I'm not happy this happened obviously, but it's a really good like it feels like the same way you would feel about like a forest fire or something where this like yes, it's destructive and yes, like a lot of bad things happened, but that doesn't it, but that it happened no matter one no like it happened, it's going to happen and it already happened and there's no going back. So, do you Want to restore things to the way that they were, or do you want to use it as an opportunity to create the kind of deep structural changes that you were kind of thinking about needing two years ago? Because these problems were we, these these problems that we've been that we've been dealing with have been in place in the restaurant industry, you know, for decades, if not centuries, um, for in, in, you know, in many cases. So you know, now that there's been this sort of clearing out and this very unfortunate, very painful destruct like destruction, literally. Um, do we using it as an opportunity to kind of put in place and to kind of rebuild the industry in a way that prevents these these things from happening like the 40 of the restaurant industry um, before this they were living uh, at or near the federal poverty line which is just a huge amount of people if you think about the fact that there's about 16 pe- 16 million people who are working in the restaurant industry so it's a ton of people who are really not doing well um, and that doesn't and I don't want to go back to that. That doesn't seem like a desirable place to go. So how do we put in place protections for workers? How do we center the worker in in the recovery effort? And rather than try to see how we can shore up people's balance sheets and help shareholders keep their value, which is like, okay, that's that's great. But like, if you have these people who are the main engine of the value that your company is creating, you have to center those people because they're the ones who actually make your your business happen every day. And that's so, so important in the restaurant industry because you can't replace people, you know, with a robot. You can't really automate away the experience of like going into a restaurant or a bar and like talking to a person like that social element is so important. So if those people who are providing this really valuable emotional and social function in your life are sick, are poor, are, you know, have their their kids aren't taken care of, their mental health is terrible, then you don't want to go to that restaurant. You don't want to go to that bar. You don't want to go to that coffee shop. So if you start with the worker and make sure they're taken care of, then I really believe that that's from where everything else is going to come from. So if you prioritize that and make sure that these people are taken care of and paid well, um, and are given the legal protections and you know, everything that we we that we, we think that we need, like Medicare for all and paid sick leave, family leave, like childcare, these all these things, I think that a lot of the other problems that we've been see, that we've been seeing um, as far as like unsustainable business practices will start to fade away because the core of the business of the of the industry is is healthy and taken care of.
1: absolutely um so let's take a really quick break and then we'll come back and we want to talk a little bit about an upcoming event we are doing queer the table live um that you're going to be participating in so we will be right back with more with john DeBerry.
5: my name is brandon Boyd, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place Roberta's is a very 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 proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super
0: awesome. Thank you, Heritage.
1: All right. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We are here with our guest, John DeBerry. And OK, so Hannah, would you take it away and tell us about this very exciting event we have coming up that was meant to be in person, but now it's going to be virtual. And we're just as excited about it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So this was supposed to happen in April. But as we all know, the world ended in April. Um but um, John will be joining us for a very special live virtual edition of our podcast, Queer the Table, um, and he'll be joined by esteemed guests like Andre Springer, who's the founder of Shaquanda's Hot Sauce, and if you're not familiar, you just absolutely should be, and um, Liz Alpern, who is one of the co-founders of Queer Soup Night and is just an amazing activist in the queer food space and just a fabulous person in general. And um, we'll be also be joined by John, of course. Um, and Nico <laughs> Whistler is going to be the host. Um, we're doing this in collaboration with the Hetrick-Martin Institute, which if listeners aren't familiar, we're going to have two of their team members on the show next week. Um, But they're uh, an incredible nonprofit that provides wraparound services to uh, at risk LGBTQ youth. So they pretty much provide everything that one might need um, aside from housing. Uh, So right now their work is more important than ever as so many people are facing food insecurity. but the conversation is going to be about building community in the queer food space. Um, Initially it was going to be focusing on how we do that in person by sharing a meal, by gathering around a table. Um, But now as the world has changed, um, I think John, especially you have are going to have a lot of insight into kind of how community gets built virtually um, as RWCF has done such an amazing job of doing that. Um, mobilizing people to support the hospitality industry during this time so i'm super excited about this um and if you haven't tuned into queer the table you absolutely should it's a it's an amazing show yeah yeah
1: on that note just like as kind of a sneak peek of of what to expect there um john what are your thoughts and sort of how how a community like hospitality and restaurants that is so based around kind of person-to-person, face-to-face contact, like how have you seen community kind of change over the past few months?
6: Mm, That's a good question. Um, It's so, uh, I feel like this is a really hard question to answer because there's, Mm. there's kind of this like Overlay of like grief and mourning uh, that goes along with it in terms of like it's not you know it's this whole new structure for our society and it, you know I think some of this stuff may stick and some of it may go back to you know the way that it you know the way that it were it was in terms of being you know in you know in the same room with someone um, but it's always it's for me it's always been hard to. Um, <clears throat> To really like double down on a lot of these things because it's like do you commit to the way things are now and you do you let go of the way things were and the kind of thing that you've lost or do you kind of like pretend <laughs> that it's like not happening and then mm-hmm. um, and sort of like hope for the best and kind of like ride it out. Um, so I think a lot of people are feeling that way where it's like you get on a Zoom call, you get on a Instagram live um, and... Uh, it's it can feel a little bleak but i think at the same time there's this like very um very like deep level of in- intimacy that's being built but i think it's on a, on a much smaller scale between between people um that maybe you wouldn't have before um and it's like kind of a vague thing you know what i'm saying but <laughs> but like <clears throat> for me it's like when you 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 get on a zoom call with someone Uh, or instagram live and you're in their house you know and you're not seeing people at this sort of like polished best you know Like if you're meeting someone at a coffee shop or you're going to dinner you're doing an event you know you have your shit together you know you like have your lipstick on you know you like wearing your nice clothes and you're not like kind of like shoved in your apartment in like a suboptimal you know environment so you're getting this like very deep look into a person's life
0: Mm. um
6: and it is very intimate in a way um even if it's not you know maybe an event that you would expect to have 100 people come to uh in person because people like to go to events and meet people maybe it's a 20 person event but i think that as far as the value of the connection that's created in these kinds of things it's really really high um and i feel like a lot of like existing bonds or people who are kind of i was friends with sort of um acquaintances because we didn't because you're not relying on like oh well maybe i'll see them again in a couple of weeks you really have to be really super intentional about the people you're spending time with um and also like budgeting your screen time because it can get really exhausting um so there's this kind of it's it isn't all it's like a very interesting transition in terms of like maybe you're not necessarily you know reaching hundreds of people or thousands of people but you're reaching these you're making sort of these deep connections and you're all kind of going through this like shared trauma essentially um Mm -hmm. and it sort of creates um a, a kind of a lot of deep deeper bonds and i think it also like can maybe strip away some of the superficial um elements of community building because people might just show up and not participate in something or you know they're just kind of around where in in an in-person thing because they maybe they think it might be fun but like when you're logging on to a zoom or something or an instagram live or you know whatever platform you're using like it's very easy to bail (laughs) so the people who do show up they actually really care
3: That's such a good point. And I love that you mentioned the vulnerability of video calls because that's something I've been thinking about a lot because we've been having so many is, like, you get to see someone's, like, bedroom or living room or office or kitchen or whatever, which you don't normally get to, like, be in someone's house during a normal, like, conference call. Um, Right. And I'm curious, like, especially going back to what you said earlier about your one of your volunteers who's, like, fielding all of these really emotionally fraught um contacts how are you taking and and Michael and your whole team like how are you taking care of yourselves right now because I'm sure you have to put some conscious effort into that
6: oh that's that's a great question I think you know it's a I think for me like I I kind of like as I said before, I'm sort of always like psychologically preparing for a crisis <laughs> it's yeah. like to, a, to a disordered <laughs> level um, that when there's something like this happening, when there's an actual crisis, I'm actually really good and really calm. and It's kind of like weirdly my element. So for me, um, it is, you know, there are moments when you're kind of like, wow, this is a total bummer and this really sucks. And like, you know, people are really suffering and like you kind of have to you're sort of taking that on. But at the same time, you know, there are. Like I was in this like, like flow, whatever state for the first two or three weeks of the, of this whole crisis, like for the last weeks of March and like the first couple weeks of April, where I was just like, it was just nonstop. And I, it was just kind of like, it was like sort of consumed me in a way. And I like Mm -hmm. kind of was like, I was like doing work at like two in the morning, which is like something that I never do. Like I work hard, but I know like I should need to stop working. And it's like, you know, that can have these boundaries. Um, and so it did kind of sort of take over my life and I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, I couldn't stop, um, talking about it with my husband, who I live with, who I run the, not who I, who he, he and I are, you know, are part of the the board and we were doing a lot of work for the, for the foundation. Um, and I had to really consciously like, like turn it off. Um, because it wasn't really, it was just getting to be really exhausting and kind of bleak. Um, and but at the same time it's like you're given a chance to to not feel helpless mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of people were feeling helpless and kind of underutilized and that we've, we've really grown our volunteer um group uh in these past couple of weeks because you know, i'm friends with a lot of restaurant workers and you know industry people and a lot of them are really resourceful smart people who had great jobs at great bars and restaurants and coffee shops and then now they don't and so they have got time and they're i think the restaurant industry is filled with people who are really quick thinkers who are really resourceful who have a lot of emotional resilience it takes a lot of emotional labor to be a service industry person and i don't think a lot of people necessarily always recognize that that you know to suck it up and smile for 12 hours a day is actually (laughs) really fucking hard um so we've got you had like a really good core group of people who uh we've been able to kind of mobilize to to help um to help us out and i think that just being able to do something um that feels um impactful has been actually like really great because i think if i was stuck at home twiddling my thumbs like making sourdough bread for you know (laughs) for weeks on end i would probably lose it you know and actually i think that doing something like this is is probably for me personally at least the healthiest choice um and the, the the this whole thing the restaurant workers community foundation came out of another crisis it came out of this like very very deep despair i was feeling after the 2016 election and i was like fuck like what are we going to do this is like this is going to get so much worse for people before it gets better so how do we be a part of making that less bad and for kind of you know strengthening the restaurant industry against the against what was going to happen you know at the federal government so this is kind of like i'm sort of weirdly in my element right now so i'm very mm-hmm. happy for that plus i'm like a super homebody <laughs> so being stuck at home is like no sweat for me so i feel very lucky for a lot of reasons but yeah
1: um so one other topic i want to make sure that we chatted about because you you very kindly posted on instagram today that you were coming on the show and you said we were going to cover a lot of topics, um, one of which was lipstick. And <laughs> tying it back to the book, a part of the artwork is like the bright, the colors, and like the lipstick. Mm-hmm. And before the show started, we were talking about how, with like masks, are really going to throw a wrench in our lipstick fashion. So, yeah. what are your thoughts? How it's, are we? It's rough. Yeah.
6: <laughs> it's rough, but I feel like. <laughs> and i think i think that like you know there's like i think that i what a lot of people are feeling right now is that they're um so much of like their sort of identity is is tied up in the way that they present themselves to the world and if you don't get seen by other people um it can be really hard to deal with and so you people i think even if you don't care about fashion or you're not a flamboyant person i think that you're still want to be you still have a presentation of who you are um and so it's hard to to have to like muffle that, especially if you're living alone um, and you're like not making a lot of contact with people. Um, so I, you know, I feel like to me like I started wearing lipstick because I was like really inspired by this like one character from this like web series. His name was Freckle. Look her up; it's amazing, Freckle. Um, and <laughs> uh, I just thought it was cool to wear a lipstick, and I sort of started using it and it was just like really fun and it was like a really great accessory and I'm not a big accessory person so it's just like one cute thing you can do that just like kind of ties your whole look together. Um and I like went on a whole like binge of of uh lipstick purchasing <laughs> in the past like year and a half. Um but I like sometimes I'll just put on lipstick like for for no reason. Like just for fun, you know, like just for yourself or like for a Zoom call or like I'll do like a yoga class and I'll wear lipstick. Um
1: and you're doing and, like um, dramatic readings of your book now too. I, yes, I one there. So like now you have a good reason.
6: Yeah. So now I have to get you oh, know great. I put on I put on like lipstick at like six forty five in the morning and like recorded <laughs> recorded something this morning. Um, yeah, I just think it looks cool. I You know, it's not even you know I think it's just like I think everyone can use whatever kind of fashion tool that exists to present themselves and regardless of gender. And I think that does, I is like look really good with lipstick on. So. I'm just going to wear it and um
3: I think it's, it's like so I'm not... good to like oh sorry.
6: <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm just saying I'm not I'm not doing it for for anybody else but me.
3: Yeah. Mm. I think it's good to like give people permission to um see personal adornment as something that's not like purely superficial. Um Absolutely. Like I I'm also a big fan of lipstick and I actually left I I'm out of family home in New Jersey for the last like 3 months and I'm going back to Brooklyn this weekend, but I left my makeup bag at home. Um, and, and, cause I thought it was sort of an extravagance I wouldn't have time for, but like, I do right. miss it. And like, I love wearing red lipstick and I've been stuck in this house full of um, a, an old person's <laughs> clothes. And there are a lot of like colorful ascots. Um, so instead I've just been like wearing like scar- ascots in my hair, <laughs> that's my new lipstick. Yeah. But I think that's so important. Cause like, you know, it, yes, the fashion industry is crazy and, and, and puts a lot of pressure on people but adornment has been a part of human history just as you know alcohol and food and all the other fun stuff and it's such an important part of how we like connect with one another and express yes. ourselves
6: right.
5: the Not mask great. the mask like it does put a damper on lipstick maybe but it also gives permission for absolutely wild off the wall colors because you now have a chance <laughs> you have a chance for the reveal. Like you could be in a room with someone for a minute and then be like, well, bam!" You didn't expect that oh. when you take the mask off.
6: Assuming that, you ever take. But masks you have to off. get you have I to get the right kind of lipstick that won't get like... smudged. <laughs> Wait, what?
3: Just put the lipstick on the mask.
2: Yeah. Uh. Uh, but it, I I don't know, and I'm seeing a lot of masks as adornment as well. But it just uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like it's beautiful and it's also just so stark.
6: Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And your and like your your facial posture whatever your facial expression is such an important part of like how people relate to you and like it's 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 it's, it's like this kind of very isolating kind to to be physically cut off with someone like you know your face you know think about how uncanny it was like that neighbor in home improvement who you never saw the guy's (laughs) (laughs) the guy's face it's just his eyes and it's like that was this whole gag that you never really knew it's so mysterious that this person was there and if you can't like see someone's mouth or their nose or the way their cheeks are shaped it's just like you don't know what they're thinking um and it's kind of like, it's exhausting. And you're like, oh, do I, is this, is this someone I know? Or is this just someone who looks like the, who's 30% of their face looks like someone I, I know? You know, so you like kind of have these uncanny experiences where you think you're bumping into someone that you know, and then you're like, whoop, nope, just kidding.
5: Yeah.
2: I was it's it's of- affecting me now because like, I have a four and change month old baby who is starting to recognize people and wow. is starting to be afraid of faces and masks that he sees. And... Mm. It's so weird and you're like, oh, but of course this like tiny developing human needs to see facial expressions to learn how to be in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But just to see this like look of fear on his face the other day, we went to the pediatrician and and it was just instant and I was like, oh my God, what is this world? Wow. That's a
1: really interesting thing. I wasn't thinking about that at all. Wow. I think I was thinking that everyone having to wear masks means we all have to really start practicing our smizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. so it's so
3: disconcerting (laughs) really like it just and i was thinking about this and um zoom and like video calls and how um you know like body language is so much bigger than people's faces um Mm -hmm. and like i feel like i'm the kind of person who's like what are people doing with their hands and like how are they breathing and it's very weird to have like vulnerable conversations with friends who are having a hard time and like not be able to see their whole body.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
3: totally. And the mask thing, especially like it's, it's unnerving. Yeah. But
1: necessary. Please wear a mask. Not necessary. Right. Everyone's wear masks. Absolutely. I'm seeing a yeah. lot of people. Don't, don't get us it. wrong. So. Um, okay. Well, it's that time of the show where John, we have a new game. Um, oh. y- you've really played many, <laughs> many, many more games on HR and Happy Hour than many people. Because we invented a game for you, um, <laughs> Jack Handy. What, <laughs> what,
5: what got invented for John?
1: Uh, we we played a game called Jack Handy quote or John DeBerry tweet where we <laughs> it was it was amazing. Go back and find that episode. Um, But what we're doing, we're doing a new game um, in our virtual happy hours because we can't see what you can see. And so we're playing a version of 20 questions where we're going to ask you to pick an item. I guess you're
5: in radio professional.
1: Uh So so you can pick an item in your mind in your apartment. um, And then we're going to try to play 20 questions and guess what that item is.
6: Okay. So
1: you let us know when you have something in mind. I got it. Okay great. All That's
6: right, decisive. I'll decisive. it <laughs> <laughs> a wait it's yes or no questions, right? I,
1: yes or no questions. All right, so if someone can kick it off. I'll keep track of a number of questions.
3: Dylan, you always have the best first question. Yeah, Dylan, you're
5: going <laughs> to also
4: going to nominate <laughs> Do Dylan. in hour. Do Except for the ask really bad ones. All right. All right. I will ask is it bigger than your head?
5: <laughs> Usually, yes. it's a
4: bread box. <laughs> no, we've switched ahead because someone got confused by the bread box question.
5: The bread box doesn't resonate the same way anymore. That's a yes. It's a Excellent. yes. <laughs> is is it decorative? This question has gotten us far in the past. Uh, yes. Of
2: course. Wait, it is. hold on, Matt. For future, I think we should ask: Is it like? solely decorative or is it like solely functional i don't know
5: i mean what kind of wouldn't what kind of design okay fine i feel like
2: everything in john Deberry's place is going to be decorative but also (laughs) useful
5: also functional Hmm. yes
2: it's going to be beautiful and functional and sometimes just beautiful
1: okay so it is decorative but do we want to narrow it down further by asking is it
3: art well, I think we should ask if it's functional. Okay, I think is it art is so existential.
5: Yeah, it's, uh, an art, it's hard to answer. Is honestly. it functional? Okay. But like aesthetic beauty is. A, we yeah. saying that? I know. I just uh, went on a whole tangent really about that. Go. God
3: damn it. Um, <laughs>
5: Language, language. my
2: fault. And on today's episode of HR Happy Hour, we can't play our 20 questions game because we've spiraled into a <laughs> yeah, video. we broken psychological people. The band breaks
5: up over 20 questions. <laughs> like three questions in.
4: Should we say, like, is it a tool? Like, a tool I think we look- need to know where it is. I want to know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you, Dylan. Okay. I, I, I would like to know if it's hanging on a wall. No. Okay. okay.
2: Is it you? Is it
4: food related? Food or drink? No. Hmm. Is it a light fixture of any kind?
6: No. <laughs> hmm. uh,
2: does it have a soft
4: texture? Yes. Ooh, Ooh, good one. Yes. Okay, it's soft. It's decorative. Wait,
1: is it? Is it animate?
4: Yes. Oh, we struggled with this.
3: Life. Oh, Wait, yes! oh
6: yes, yes. It's alive. It? It's the kitty. Yes. he he I like I was facing the wall and I turned around <gasps> when I was supposed to look for something and he's just there. Staring at me like, "What are you doing in this closet?" And, like, <laughs> judging me for standing here. So I was like, "Well, I guess." Uh, oh, now he's I gone. Mean, now he's gone. Okay. Oh, cats are
5: definitely decorative, decorative. not
4: functional. Jeff, <laughs> <def>, Jeff, <laughs> What's your cat? But is it art? Yeah,
1: uh, that's a good
6: question. Yeah,
3: most assuredly. Um.
1: That's, yay, Felix. Um, yay. Send us a picture of Felix, and we'll use it as the episode art.
6: Oh, yes, definitely. I have so of pictures of Felix. I'll get one. On you-
2: Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go team. Was that a record, cat? How many questions was that? That was good. It was only like six or seven. Whoa.
1: Wow. I thought you
6: weren't going to get it, and I was gonna be like, eh, the cat. And then you were like, oh. And
1: oh. then. So. And then I think I think that means we have to leave this episode off on a cliffhanger. The next time John comes back on the show, he has to tell us about the time Felix almost killed him. Oh
3: God.
6: Ooh. Oh. Wait, which time? Oh no that time. Okay.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Cat owners are nuts. <laughs> Listen, or the
6: time Matt, he killed, you just don't understand. Or the time he killed something. <laughs>
4: um
1: uh. well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I feel like we've covered fun. so much amazing ground and it's always such a pleasure to have you yeah. on the network and thank you for everything that you're doing with restaurant workers, community foundation. And Oh, let's thank end you. with you telling people where they can go to donate and help continue your work.
6: Okay. So restaurant workers, community foundation, our website is restaurantworkerscf.org or you can go to our Instagram, RWCF USA. Um, and that we're all right there or in my Instagram, J N D three zero zero one. And I have a link in my bio that goes to the foundation. It also has a good place to pre-order my book. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so yeah, restaurantworkerscf.org workers, And there's a donate button like right there, um, or Instagram.
1: Awesome. And then for nice. people who want to buy pre-order and buy your book, um, once, you know, once the book is out, um, should they just go to your Instagram for the correct links to buy it from independent yeah. booksellers? Or yeah, what, it's what all there.
6: Like? I, so I, I link to my publisher, um, mm-hmm. and they have links to different different uh, purchasing platforms. So that's the best way to go through. Uh, and that's all, also on my um, my Instagram. Or it's just like search, drink what you want, John DeBerry. And it's like the first thing that pops up is the Penguin page for me. So
4: awesome and how can people how can people attend the queer the table live event or a virtual event
3: it is on eventbrite um so you can search queer the table on eventbrite um it'll be going out on our socials and newsletter as well but searching eventbrite is probably the easiest
1: yep and rsvp there because you'll have to get a zoom link
2: to join us yes that's right um john if you're always up to like lots of things and i can't wait to check in and see what is coming next because i know there's like always going to be lots of projects in the pipeline
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> all right something well this has been hr and happy hour thanks thanks everybody and Thank we'll you. be back next week with the team from hetrick martins institute and we'll talk more about the, the
2: table event thanks john. thanks guys
5: thanks john Bye.